Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Yeah. 
cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. That's our prayer tonight. It's our prayer every day. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's room at the cross for you. Isn't it good to see the choir in the loft tonight? I'm telling you what, they do my heart good to see all of them sitting up there. There's a few sitting out there, but I'm not going to throw stones or anything cricket. It's okay. It's okay. See how you are. Uh, uh, we love you anyway. Uh, the choir has started meeting at 4 o'clock on Sunday evenings to work on Easter music. So if you have a nice voice and would like to sing, or if you don't have a nice voice and would like to sing anyway, we're going to invite you to come to choir practice at 4 o'clock. That was a shameless push for the choir. Now we're going to continue to worship our Lord and Savior. Will you stand, choirs, we sing, fairest Lord Jesus.
Y'all are one fine-looking bunch this evening. One fine. I'm going to say that in Wilson County, in white churches on East Old Murfreesboro Road, there's not a finer-looking congregation gathered. That is my personal, and I won't let nobody tell me no different, that tonight this is the finest-looking congregation on this street. I'll tell you that. already started. Matthew chapter, most of us anyway would fit. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Make your way to verse 17. We'll be in verses 17 through 20 tonight. The title of the message is Jesus, the problem with legalism. Jesus, the problem with with legalism. And as we continue this evening in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon preached by Jesus himself to his disciples, uh, and keep in mind thus far the things that we have looked at 
is that Jesus has been preaching about the attitude of a believer. If you're a believer, then these are some things that are going to change inside of you about your attitude as a result of being a believer. And so we said the first things that he dealt with were vertically with our relationship to God the Father. So the things that change in the way that we view the Father. And then he mentioned some things and said in, in relation to that, once we're believers, there'll not only be a change in our attitude towards the Father, but horizontally with other people. There will be a change in our attitude with other people. We said that even as believers, we would find it that when someone tells lies about us, and someone reviles us and persecutes us as long as it's in the name of Christ that we are serving, that we would count ourselves as blessed to have been persecuted. Last week we talked about being the salt and the light. And we said that that's where the term, that's a, a salt and light kind of person, comes from that text. As Jesus talked on his Sermon on the Mount, and he taught that we are the salt. Said we are the method by which the decay in this earth is slowed down and stopped. It is us. It is the church. It is the believers. We are the method. And we are the light. We are the method by which the darkness is illuminated. And therefore the darkness is ended because where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And so we said that those things are not optional choices that we have, that as believers we can be the salt, or as believers, we might choose to be the light on our best days. We said, no, that indeed what Jesus said is that we are the salt and we are the light. And so we said, what are we reflecting and what are we changing in the way that we live our lives? And this week we dive into a subject that, in my opinion, has thwarted many from a true response to Jesus Christ in their lives that has kept many people from truly following Christ, and that is the, the topic and the subject of legalism. Now, I want to be clear. I am not a free living, grace giving, do whatever you want to, it's okay kind of preacher. I am not one of those preachers that's going to stand up here and say, don't worry, be happy, it's okay, do what makes you feel good, and God's bound to be okay with it because God loves you, and you can just do what you want, and since He loves you, He's going to forgive you. That is not who I am. Hopefully, in my time here, you know me better than that. I'm not a grace covers a multitude of sin, therefore let's sin so that grace can abound. I'm, that's not who I am at all. But I also am not one who's going to stand up here in this pulpit and be Pharisaic and be so vehemently attached to an excessive encroachment of the law that I'm going to stand up here and be legalistic and say, uh, well, that's what I think, therefore that's what you have to think also. So let's, let's identify what legalism is by definition before we even move into the rest of this message. Legalism by definition is an excessive adherence to the law. An excessive adherence to the law. Notice, not just adherence to the law, but an excessive adherence to the law. And Jesus said, Jesus said, I came to perfect the law. And so in Christ, there is no excessive adherence. There is merely perfection to the law. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. An excessive adherence to the law was Pharisaic. And the Pharisees, what they did 
was they not only took the laws of Moses and the laws of the Old Testament, but they kind of, of added to them or, or loosely interpreted themselves. And, and when they did that, they said, these are the laws by which we're going to live our lives. But being the religious leaders of that day, they not only said that, but they said, that's the laws that you're going to live your life by as well. And so there was this system in which the people couldn't live up to the standards, but the standards were not even the standards of God. They were the standards that man had added to it. And so in the times of Jesus, I think that Pharisee is the name that we most synonymously think of when we think of legalism. And so Jesus comes along, and you might say that Jesus was the anti-legalist. He was the exact opposite to everything that the Pharisees stood on. In fact, really, Jesus, when he brushed against the Pharisees, when he really stood against them and really turned them away and really upset them and really got under their skin and really did, if you've heard me say this before in a message about Jesus and the Pharisees, I would use this term that Jesus kind of went Jesus on them. And what I simply mean by that is they tried to corner Jesus up and he made them look silly because Jesus had a way of doing that with the Pharisees. Most of the time, though, he did that by attacking their legalism. Think of it with me. What did he do in Simon's house on the very evening as they reclined back, dining with Simon the Pharisee in his house, and the woman who was a woman of the night or a prostitute came into the house and anointed the feet of Jesus with the expensive oil and then dried his feet with the hair. Simon the Pharisee, in his legalistic view, looked at this and said, this man must not be a prophet. A prophet would know what this woman is and know that she's unclean and know that she should not be doing this and should not be touching him. Surely if he were a true prophet, he wouldn't let this happen. But Jesus being the truest of prophets and knowing what Simon was thinking, said, wait a minute, dude. He didn't say, wait a minute, dude, but in my ADD version, he said, wait a minute, man. He said, you're missing the point. You're the one that doesn't know me because if you knew me, you would be worshiping me as well. But you're so stuck on your laws and adhering to the standards of man and looking the way that you think you're supposed to look that you're missing out on this opportunity that this woman has grasped by bowing at my feet and anointing my feet and drying my feet. And guess what, Simon? Her sins, though they are many, they've been forgiven. Jesus kind of brushed up against that. Think about Jesus. When the Pharisees cornered him up and they say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you heal this man on the Sabbath? Well, who would heal this person? Who, who would perform a healing and work on the Sabbath? That's, uh, not a, that's not of the Mosaic law that you would do that. And what did Jesus say? Would it be better that I leave this man in this state and fulfill your law of the Sabbath? Or would it be better that I would fulfill the law of compassion and that I would have compassion upon this man? Which one would be better? And so he basically turned their laws against them there. Think too about a few weeks ago, we preached about this. Remember? The disciples were gleaning in the field on the Sabbath. The Pharisees said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do your disciples work on the Sabbath? They're gleaning the field. They're not supposed to glean the field. And Jesus said what to them? This really, really shook their whole world of legalism. He said, the Sabbath was... Was, was made for man. 
so that you would rest. And then he goes on to say, and I am the Sabbath. I'm here. Your rest is here. And here you find yourself wrapped up in these laws. And then the Pharisees said what? In the same stretch. They said, well, wait a minute. Why? Why don't your disciples fast? Surely, Jesus, there's no answer that Jesus has for them that's clear in the laws of Moses that one of the things that we're supposed to do is fast and we're supposed to pray. So surely we're going to corner Jesus up here. And they said, what? Jesus, your disciples don't fast. Even the disciples of John fast. Your disciples don't fast, Jesus. Give me an answer to the law. And Jesus said, Why would my disciples fast when I'm here? The time for fasting will come, and when it comes, they will fast. But right now, I am here. They should not long for me. They should sit under me and worship me. And so everywhere the Pharisees turned with their legalism, there was this big Jesus being Jesus. And so we come to this Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus begins to address it. And I believe as Jesus addresses this, uh, I can't help but believe that he and his disciples have gathered, and the crowd has really started to gather around Jesus as he sits and talks to his disciples. And I believe that Jesus looked out on the crowd, and he saw all of these Jewish people. And I believe that Jesus knew that the question that was probably on every one of their tongues was since he is so radically different than anything we've ever seen, what does he say about the law? He's never come out and made a statement about the law. Is he abolishing the Old Testament law? Is he saying that it is no more? What's he doing with it? Because he's so different than any interpretation of the law that we've ever seen. And so I want to ask you to stand, please, if you are able, in honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of Jesus. From Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, where Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you and you are awesome in this place, mighty God. We come to you and we thank you for what you've already done in this very house today, Lord God. And we take no credit for anything that you've done in this house today, Lord God. But we ask that you would bind any spirit from this place, any hindrance of our worship from this place at this very time. And allow us to look to your word and draw nearer to you this very moment. God, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And it is in your sweet, holy, saving name that we pray as all God's children said. And you may be seated. 
And so Jesus looks out on the crowd, and he begins to study the crowd, and he begins to examine the thought that each of them have. What does Jesus say about the law? And in verse 17, Jesus shows us kind of what he feels about the law. He shows us that really, he feels the law is preeminent, that it is above, that it is of a masterful place. He says, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so Jesus didn't come to abolish it. Jesus felt that it was above the traditions of, of rabbis. It was above the rabbinic tra traditions of the day. It was above what the Pharisees were saying the church was supposed to govern itself with. It was above all these things. Jesus said the Old Testament law, it doesn't need to be abolished. I didn't come to destroy it. I didn't come to throw it out. I didn't come to make it different. I didn't come to change it. I didn't come to make it less stringent. I came to fulfill it and to perfect it and to, to claim it and to make it perfect and complete. And so what does that even mean, Christ fulfills the law or Christ accomplishes the law? Well, just think about a few examples with me. In Hebrews 9, we see that Christ fulfills the law regarding blood sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 9, he says, When he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption, And so Christ fulfilled and perfected the laws of blood sacrifices. All right, before Christ shed his blood, before the perfect blood was shed, there was a, a system of atonement and a system of sacrifices and a system of blood to be shed. And so Christ didn't say that the shedding of blood is no longer. He didn't abolish that law. But he perfected that law by saying, now you don't need to kill a goat. You don't need to kill a calf. You don't need to bring it this way. You don't need to slice its throat, cut its legs, wash your hands, stand on your head, dip your face. You don't need to do any of that because I did it all. I perfected it by shedding my blood once. I entered into the Holy of Holies once and I shed my blood for the remission of all sin. So he didn't abolish the blood sacrifice laws. He perfected the laws of blood sacrifice. The laws of, of the Levitical law regarding the priest would stand as a go-between between those who would worship and those who would seek God and God. So the priest would be the intercessor. But Hebrews 7, 23 and 24 says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But Jesus holds the priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. We no longer need this priesthood to stand between us and God. Because we have an intercessor between God and man. His name is Jesus. We don't need a replacement uh, of that. We don't need a law by which we see who it should be. We have it. It's perfected in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we no longer need an intercessor. So he didn't abolish the law. But Jesus perfected the law. What about the physical temple? Did you know that with Jesus, the physical temple ceased to be the geographical center of worship in the world? Before that time, 
In order to come to God, you had to enter into the temple a certain time of the year and you would have certain people placed to make their way into the Holy of Holies and provide the sacrifices for the people and you had all of these things you had to do and you had to come to the temple. But Jesus in John 4, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he says to her at the well, he says, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says, Where two or three gather in my name, there I will be also. We don't need Mecca. We don't need to go to the temple at a certain time of the year in order to celebrate Christ. Did you know that worship of Jesus happens wherever you are, whenever you are, however you are, and whatever you do? And did you know the church doesn't just meet here on Sunday morning? Did you know that any time you call a fellow believer, you're having a gathering of the Rocky Valley Baptist Church? So don't gossip because that's not what we do during a worship gathering, okay? Did you know that we no longer have to go to this geographical location in order to have church? We can have church wherever we are. And worship Jesus. Why? Because true worship is of Jesus in spirit and in truth. And we don't have to go to Mecca. We don't have to go to that place. And do you know what it means also? It means if you place the restriction to say that that's where you have to go in order to worship, that you're being legalist in your viewpoint and you're not being of Christ. Because Christ said, that's no more. I have perfected that law. You can't hold man to that old standard. Now I want to be clear. We are to be part of a local fellowship. We are to bear one another's burdens, worship together. We're meant to be a relational people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Sunday morning ain't the only time you ought to worship. And the only place that you ought to worship doesn't have to be inside the doors of this church. I have had a tremendous worship service in the toothbrush aisle at Walmart. And those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, you'll know that that was the catalyst by which our new music minister came to join us here at that church is because we had a church service in the toothbrush aisle at the Walmart store way too late in the evening on a Christmas rush two years ago. You can worship wherever you are. Why? Because Jesus has perfected that law, the food laws that were so prevalent. The Pharisees said, you got to eat this thing, you can only eat that thing, got to wash this thing, got to pick this thing up, put this thing down, clean it up, don't ever touch that, it's unclean. I would never hear, eat a, you don't eat a flying animal, you eat a crawl, don't eat a crawling animal, eat a swim, no, no, we don't eat that. I mean, in that day, I'd have never made it because I like to eat too much, I'd have been stuck. I'd have just had to sit there and said, just forget it, pray for me, I'm going to eat it anyway, I'm hungry. But Jesus in Mark 7 said, hang on, I'm not going to say that the food laws aren't important, but I'm going to perfect them when I say that what goes into a man from the outside doesn't defile him. I declare all these foods to be clean. Jesus didn't abolish the food law. Jesus made it better and he perfected the food law. And so in verse 17, Jesus says, what? I didn't come to destroy the law. It was authored by God. It was affirmed by the prophets. It was perfected by Christ. I'm not here to destroy it. I am here to fulfill it. 
Then Jesus gets to verse 18. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means shall pass from the law until all is fulfilled. He says, not only is it preeminent, not only is it important, not only was it authored by God, affirmed by the prophets to be perfected by me, but it lasts forever. It's not going to pass away. It's not ever going to go away. The Jews of this time were looking and they were kind of hoping for a more lax system in the law. And Jesus didn't drop the standards. Jesus lifted the standards even higher. He said, these laws will be forevermore. They're not going away. They're not going to change until each thing has been fulfilled, which is all the things of the Bible, which means the law doesn't go away until Jesus comes again to claim his bride. And so it's not going anywhere. Why? Well, because it was authored by God, affirmed by the prophets, and perfected by Christ. Why would it change? It's already perfected. Why does it need to go away or be changed or shift? To say that the law needs to have a shift or a change would be to say that God messed up in the first place because he's the one that authored it. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not courageous enough to say that I think God made a mistake on the first place. I'm just silly enough to believe he got it right. And if I don't like it, then the problem's with me and not he. Jesus is giving us this. And he's almost saying to us this statement, just because you don't like the law doesn't mean that you don't have to adhere to the law. Just because you don't like what the book says doesn't mean that you get to rewrite the book. Because Jesus essentially knew that as people, we would have this desire to want to keep the parts we wanted to keep and rewrite the parts we wanted to rewrite. And don't we do that every day? We try to justify the things in our lives. We're good at that. Not so good at justifying the things in other people's lives. We're good at pointing out how bad they are. But when it comes to our own things, we can say, well, I think what I did was okay because X, Y, Z. And we try to rewrite the book. Jesus said, we don't have that option. This law is not going to change. This law is perfect. This law is written exactly the way it's supposed to be written. It was authored by Father God. And not one tiny symbol of the law will change. Not one thing will change. I read that verse and I hear from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And I can't help but mourn that some of our churches today seem to have skipped over the depth of that verse of the text in the interest of growing bigger and making people happier, and saying what people want to hear. We seem to have said, well, that was a cultural thing, Brother Jason. And the culture has changed, and so we have to change with it to remain relevant. My friend, this is my solemn promise to you. And please know that I love what I do more than anything in this world. I would not take a million dollars from another company to go preach anywhere besides the Rocky Valley Baptist Church. I love you guys, and I love what I do. But the day you tell me that we need to change from what the Bible says in order to be relevant, 
so that we can grow bigger or we can grow faster or we can do more is the day that I will have to respectfully resign because I love you too much to stand up here and say anything contrary to what God's word presents to us. The law is perfect. And my friends, if we have to try to change it to become relevant, we're being relevant to the wrong people. I want to be relevant to God. And my copy of God's word is just crazy enough to say that where he is glorified, the people will gather. Amen. Where he is glorified, the people will gather. And where he is glorified is where the truth is proclaimed. Move on to verse 19. We're going to hang out here for just a few minutes and then we'll be done. I didn't mean to get so caught up on the first two verses, but eh, it happens. Because verse 19 is really kind of what I feel like is the hinge on which this whole section of Scripture uh, hinges. And so we're going to stay here for just a few minutes. And, and it's really the importance of the law in our lives. Jesus is warning us here, uh, don't set aside or dismantle even the least of, of God's standards. Jesus says, since the law is authored by God, affirmed by the prophets, perfected by Christ, it's everlasting, it's permanent, it's going nowhere, then we better stick to it, and we better stick to it in its entirety. And if we don't, there are going to be some consequences that we have to endure. In other words, what you and I do with the law of God will directly affect us. There are two categories of people listed in verse 19. First, the ones who break even the least command and teach others to do so, and they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And then the other group of people, the ones who keep the commandments and teach them, they will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So first, let's look at the negative. Why? Because that's just what I do every time. Plus, Jesus did it first, so I'll go with him. That word there used for break the commandments, I think it's pretty cool. It means loose, release, destroy. That's what that word means, to break. And so Jesus is saying here, he said, I didn't come to loose or release or destroy the law. And so any of you that looses or releases or destroys the law, if you nullify even one little part of it, you're going to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, I didn't destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy it. But I know the temptation of you is going to be to fool around with parts of it and change it and switch it and make it fit you better. And here's what I want you to know is that if you do that, if you go twisting around on the perfect law that my father authored and I died to perfect, my friend, there are going to be some consequences. You are going to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now there are really two schools of thought that I want to present to you for what Jesus means by least in the kingdom of heaven. Some would say that Jesus is speaking to believers and therefore you will still have your place in the kingdom of heaven, but perhaps you forfeit some reward or some standing, but that you're not cast out of the kingdom by any means because you are a believer and once you belong to the Father, no one can pluck you from his hand. Even, even though we stray, we still belong to him. And so some would say that, that Jesus is talking here to true believers who really are believers, and they may have once been on fire for God, but they seem to have kind of strayed away and they've started to justify their sin in their lives by kind of thwarting what the law of God is so that they can say, well, I, kinda, I still feel good about what I'm doing. 
And they'll be considered the least in the kingdom of heaven. But they're still considered because they are genuine believers. Others would say that this text refers to the scribes and to the Pharisees and to those who only appear to be true believers. Those who have twisted the law and contorted it for their own ways. And Jesus is saying here basically that they're phonies. They're not real believers. They've never really come to know me. And he says, so so like the Pharisees, they're taking their physical place in the kingdom externally, but they're disobeying and changing the laws of God internally. And like the branches in John 15, they will be cut away and cast into the lake of fire. Now, I give you both of those because I cannot, on good faith and confidence, tell you that I know for a fact which one Jesus was talking about. Contextually, there's not really a solid proof one way or the other. And maybe he's referring to both in some ways. Now, I believe, in my opinion, because of him addressing believers and him specifically talking with his disciples, he's talking about the genuine believers and the consequences of us kind of being counted least in the kingdom of heaven. But I wanted to present both of them to you because if there are ever two schools of thoughts in a text, I will always present them to you, and then I'll tell you which one I land on. Um, But I want you to have all the information. So I don't know which one it is, but what I do know is it doesn't really matter because neither one's great. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter which one he's talking about. I don't know about you guys, but I like this next group in verse 19 when he says, whoever does and teaches the laws of God shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but if I'm picking between least in the kingdom of heaven and great in the kingdom of heaven, I know which side of the coin that I find myself desiring to be on. I want to fulfill what God has commanded, and I want to be found counted great in the kingdom of heaven. You too. The other group in verse 19 does and teaches and follows the commands of God. And that's where we want to be. And that's why I say that that's kind of the hinge on which this whole section of Scripture is, is, is kind of written. Is that we would find ourselves doing what God has commanded us to do. No less. But no more. Jesus goes on in verse 20 and he kind of speaks on his righteousness. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no way enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what is the basis of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Their legalistic and exuberant view of the law. They based their righteousness on marking the boxes and doing the things and wearing the clothes and and doing what they were supposed to, when they were supposed to, how they were supposed to, according to the laws that they had conveniently written. And so they wanted themselves to, to adhere to their laws. And that is how they counted their righteousness. And what does Jesus say? If you're counting your righteousness based on your works, you've got nothing but the righteousness of the scribes, and you will by no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so what is the greater source of our righteousness? Jesus. Jesus, the one who doesn't abolish but perfects the laws. So how do we know the difference between 
our schools of thought. Are we being legalistic or are we being obedient? And the answer to that question will always 100% of the time be, is this the law of God in the way that it was perfected by Jesus? Or is this something we've added to it so people look the way we want them to look? And the word of God tells me that I want to be found on the side that honors and is obedient to Jesus. I want him to be the one counted for my righteousness. Because if it's left up to me, I'm going to find woefully, woefully short. And so what should our greatest desire be? Is that in our lives and in our church, we would find ourselves obeying the word of God as our standard. Every jot, every tittle, without apology and without fail. And then we would find ourselves counted as great in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. And God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we no longer have to count the steps we take on the Sabbath. Worrying that we may take too many or walk the wrong direction or, or do the wrong thing. God, we don't have to worry about those things because you have perfected the law. And there is grace. And it's found in you and you alone, Jesus. So God, it would be my prayer that tonight you would loose any ties of legalism, anything that holds us back from truly worshiping you. And that we would become a people that serve you in spirit and in truth. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.